Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. This morning when I got up, actually when I got here, my hands were cold. Are your hands cold right now? It was 26 degrees, I think it's 37, it's gone up 11 degrees. My hands are still cold. And, and when I see that little piece of wood that's on fire being restored back into the fire so it can burn, kind of makes me want to be around a fire where I can warm up my hands. Do you ever feel like that? Or like sometimes you want to even jump into the fire to warm up because you're so cold. Have you ever been there? No? Yes? No? Well, this morning we're starting a brand new series. It's called I'm In. I'm In. So say that with me or after me. I'm In. Let's try it again. I'm In. And the next four weeks, including today, we're going to look at today, I'm Invited. So say, I'm Invited. I'm invaluable. I'm influential. I'm invested. And if you notice, each one of those starts with an I in. So I'm in. And today we're going to look at I'm invited. And what does that mean? Now, some of you won't remember this, and I'm kind of showing my age a little bit, but there was a time where your pastor had to wear a coat and tie, the official uniform on Sunday morning. Anybody remember that time? Hasn't been too long ago. And if you didn't dress up to that, you were in trouble. Now, my associate ministers that serve with me here are kind of excited about that because they come from a heritage where that doesn't, not necessarily, that didn't occur. And even wearing dress slack still is kind of like the uniform. I can't really wear jeans yet, but maybe someday, maybe someday. And so when somebody would come to church, the thing that they would often ask me that I don't hear very often anymore is, what do I have to wear? And I can say, come as you are. Amen? Everybody's welcome. There was a time where people would come into the church and be rejected because of who they were or what they were, where they came from, or what they wore. And and people still are hurting and have been harmed by that kind of rejection. Maybe you saw it in a church you grew up in or you were familiar with. Church is not for those kind of people. You've got to understand that Jesus invites people others reject. Amen? Are you with me? That that when God so loved the world, He gave His only Son for everyone. Because Jesus invites the people others 
reject. And today, if you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 37, and we're going to look at how Jesus responded to someone who the culture rejected. Luke 7, 37. Luke was a physician, traveled later, and remember, he was a historical data collector, and so probably he leaned on Peter, he probably leaned on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some of the other disciples to be able to write this gospel. And the Spirit of God, obviously. I don't want to leave that out. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now this is in this story is in the other gospels, two other gospels. What we hear what we see here is that she is labeled a sinner. Now probably you would not carry a business card that would say Mary Magdalene sinner on it, but but a lot of commentators, not all of them, think that it was her, but but many do. I I leap into that because there's so many identifying characteristics of that. That's my guess. I, I it's not the word of God. I know some of you will correct me after service, and I appreciate that. But she was a sinner, and that was code, possibly, for being a prostitute. Now, I've never met a prostitute before. Maybe some of you have. But I don't know why she was a prostitute. I don't imagine she grew up and had a slumber party of 11-year-old girls, and they went around the circle and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a youth pastor. I want to be a salesperson. I want to be a pharmacist. I want to be a truck driver. And and by the way, what do you want to be? A prostitute. A hooker. Now, I don't imagine that she ever planned or chose that profession. Maybe she was divorced. Maybe she was neglected by her father. Maybe she was abused. Maybe her husband died and there was no other way to make income. Maybe her parents died and she had siblings and it was the only way she could support herself. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But when she learned that Jesus was reclining at at the table at the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now this alabaster is a soft stone that they bore a hole in and there's a vial. And and to have perfume at that time meant something. It was worth a year's wage. That might be thirty, forty, $50,000. $50, that would be a lot of money. Amen? And here she was bringing it. Plus... There was a couple things that was going on here. First of all, she had to be able to afford the perfume. And second of all, that kind of identified who and what she was. Because only a woman of the evening could afford or would wear perfume. Not like us today. I've got Geo on today. Please don't. I mean, it wasn't in an alabaster jar. It didn't cost 
$30,000, and I'm not selling myself or my body, all right? Just to be clear. But, but here she goes before Jesus and bows down in an extravagant, extravagant act of worship. And it was symbolic of the repentance that was going on in her life. If you look with me in that next verse, in verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This was a sacred act. This was a penitent act that this woman came before Jesus. Why would she do that? And, and this was a spectacle because those kind of people weren't welcome in that man's house. Now, I know this is hard to believe, young people, but, but I used to be attracted to young girls when I was a teenage boy. And I liked them. And I liked their hair, and they'd flip it. And I'd find that very attractive. I even find that attractive with my wife. She, I, I think, you know, Stacy, my wife Stacy's hair is really nice. I like that. I like it when it's long. In fact, when we, before we were dating, I was stalking her. I was. I, we went to a birthday party, and we went out skating, and we actually skated together, roller skated together. How romantic was that? Wow. And, and then she chopped her hair off. I never had asked her out to, uh, on a date until that time. But I had to stop and say, do I, do I want to ask her out after she chopped her hair off? I mean, that was, that, that's, that's about that mature, isn't it? But anyway, she let her hair down and wiped Jesus' feet. Now, this was inappropriate in that culture. It was too intimate. No good Jewish woman would ever unbound her hair in public. Now, you all have nice hair. I just want you to know. Everybody, everybody. And you all look really, really good. But the way you wear your hair unbound would not be acceptable. That would be a, a signal that you weren't well, what am I saying? Well raised, uh, acceptable in that culture. And so she was doing something again that was just, just wrong for that culture. Now look at verse 39 with me. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you think Jesus knew who was touching him? I think he did. And, and, and he did not reject her. Why would she dare to make such a spectacle of herself? Why would she do that? Why would there? You see, in this moment, Jesus, if according to the Pharisees, if he cared about what the Pharisees cared about, those religious leaders of the day, he would have said, don't touch me, go away. 
But you see, Jesus cared more for others' needs than for his own desire and his reputation. Now, Jesus knew also what was going on in Simon the Pharisee's mind as well, what he was thinking. And he tells a little story between where, where we're going. And, and if you want to check it out in Scripture, look at verses 40 through 43. tells a little story about, about someone who, who, who owed a lot and someone who owed a little. And he said, who do you think when the debt was forgiven, who, who do you think appreciated it more? And, and they said, well, the person who owed more. And then he turned in verse 44, and then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon the Pharisee didn't even do the customary obligations for a guest in his house. He didn't have a servant clean his feet, didn't give him a kiss of welcome to Jesus, but this woman did. And then he goes on and says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven, little loves little. little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, you got the spectacle and another spectacle, and you got this spectacle, because here Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. Now, in our church, I, I'm, I'm the senior pastor, but you know what? I can forgive you when you sin against me, but I can't say in general, between you and God, your sins are forgiven. You go directly through Jesus Christ to God to ask for forgiveness. Now, these Pharisees, these Pharisees were saying, hey, this guy's forgiving your sins. Who gives him that power? Well, we just celebrated that power. Jesus was God incarnate. He was God. He had the power to forgive sin. And you have to wonder, what would possess this woman? Why would this woman come and do this? What, what occurred? What happened that would have caused her to come and do this extravagant act that was a spectacle that would be going against all the customs she knew? Why would she do this? And I would say, I would guess, because Scripture doesn't really tell us, but I would guess that either she saw Jesus do a miracle, either that or she saw how he interacted with people, or she, and my guess is, my guess, again it's a guess, just an opinion, that he, she may have heard him preach or teach and felt his love and compassion. She felt safe enough to go to Simon the Pharisee's house 
and break open a bottle of ointment and, and, and wash his feet with tears and anoint him. Because I believe she already knew about Jesus' love. That would be my guess. She already knew about his love. You know, folks, aren't we all sinners? We've all felt rejected at times. Jesus said, you're invited. No matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, what you are, you're invited by God because He loves you. Jesus said, come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. No matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, come to me. And I will give you rest. I will forgive your sins because I love you. Isn't that amazing? The the Son of God, God Himself, came because He loves you. Come to me and I will give you rest. Now here's a few observations from this passage. I'm just going to go through them quickly. Number one, pointing out the woman's sins didn't lead her away from her sins. Everybody knew she was a prostitute. Everybody knew she was a woman of ill repute. She didn't have to have that identified or pointed out. She knew. And it didn't change her. Second, judging her for herself didn't change. Judging her for her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. See, our judgment doesn't move people to change. Our judgment doesn't do that. We need to know where those moral boundaries are. We need to have them in our lives. I don't think our culture, our society, our church, ourselves, the way God designed us with boundaries, we need those. We need to do that for ourselves. But we need to love others. And finally, number three, shaming her didn't set her free. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't be that way. That's wrong. Loving her, helping her know that she is invited and wanted and cared for. What changed her? She'd been invited. She'd been invited. Folks, you've been invited. But I want I want to look real quick at Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. What was Jesus' purpose in coming to this world? Genesis 5, 31 32. It says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Not for the righteous, but for sinners like us. Jesus invites the people others reject. You're invited. 
I'm invited. This morning, as we we think about this and realize how we've been drawn to Christ and how loved and accepted and invited we are, don't you think that we need to bring others with us? Everybody probably has a family member that's not in the Lord. Some of us have a few more than others of us. Are you praying for them? Do they know that they're invited, that they're loved and they're accepted? They're wanted. They're valuable to God. Maybe a work associate or a neighbor that you know that's distant from God. Maybe he's got some baggage. We have a lot of people here that have been abused by religion. That, that It takes a long time for them to come to membership, to come to commitment to Christ, because they're, quite, they're not quite sure. They're still testing us to see if we're for real. If this church really believes what it believes, it says what it says, and stands by it. Because they've been abused. They've been hurt by religion. But they're still invited. I, I, I tell them to take as long as it takes. So it's not about me. It's not about what we do here. It's about the God that reveals Himself in the Word of God and what the community of faith is supposed to be like. And we don't always achieve that. We don't always achieve what we desire. But we make some mistakes. But at the same time, we are striving to be a loving, gracious community of faith, the family of God, that caring family we talk about in our our, our mission statement. Now Jesus tells a story, and I love it. It's in Luke 14. He tells you how to throw a party. Did you ever read that? About when Jesus says, here's how you throw a party. And he talks about it in a parable. And, and he says this, this wealthy man is, is planning a wedding. And he invites all his family and all his friends and everyone he knows and he loves. The celebrities of his life. Right? It's going to be a big bash. But they're all too busy. I bought a new house. I just got married. I'm, I'm, I'm too busy to come to your wedding. And so Jesus goes on and he tells a story and he says, so then go out, this, this man said, go out into the highways and the byways and, and, and invite the blind and the lame and the poor and whoever, just whoever, invite them to this party because we're going to have a great time. And so he does. And they come. Because... Jesus invites those other people reject. Do you? Are they welcome in your life? That's who needs Jesus. That's who came. That's who He came for. Will you please stand as I close in prayer?